Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 507 of the JV Club with my phenomenal guest, Annette O'Toole. I have been a fan of Annette's for kind of as long as I can remember, and I was so, so honored and delighted to have her on the podcast. I know you're going to love this interview. We talk about all kinds of things, including her experience as a teenager, being a working actress in Los Angeles, some of her current brilliant and wonderful projects, and you'll find that she's just absolutely wonderful. So enjoy this episode. I'm very excited to be gearing up for Max Fun Drive. Lots of fun stuff in store. I'm really excited about a number of things we're doing, so you'll be hearing lots more about that soon. And I also just got back from an extraordinarily delightful experience on the Joko Cruise, so I want to shout out the Joko Cruise for just being one of the warmest, most inclusive, most fun, loving, inspiring experiences I'm very lucky to have had. All right, enjoy this episode with Annette. I was so honored to, you know, it was one of those kind of serendipitous things where your publicist, who at one point was my publicist, reached out to me to say that they were representing you. And it was right around the same time that we had just confirmed you and your husband for our festival, for the festival that I had in lieu of a child. (laughs) I gave birth to a 22-year-old festival with two of my partners. And you had just confirmed uh, doing a show with Dana Gould and me and a bunch of other wonderful, wonderful folks. It was a live stage reading of I Married a Monster from Outer Space. And you read the the lead female role and were so freaking funny. And your husband, Michael McKeon, was wonderful and funny. And it was just a, a little slice of heaven for me because I've been a fan of yours for so long. So that really meant a lot. And the two of you sang for our Mighty Wind reunion you sang your Oscar-nominated song and another song. And that was also just delicious. It was a really wonderful weekend for us. I'd been there for, um, I kind of know how many years ago we had done celebrity uh, uh, autobiography at Sketchfest. That's right. Which is so funny. And and this was it came out of the blue and we were, out, we were free for it. And we just thought it would be really fun. And it, it was it was fantastic. It was not just the festival, which is incredible. I had no idea that... It was your child. It's a very beautiful child you have. Oh, thank you. um, Because I would never have thought you could do anything 22 years ago except, you know, go to middle school. Well, I love you, and you're so wrong. (laughs) But the weekend was really incredible. It was great seeing all those people from A Mighty Wind, because even though I'm peripherally a part of that movie, having written some of the songs, you know, I'm not in that group. I'm just kind of always around those people and they're just wonderful and they're just we stayed at the same hotel as Catherine and her husband Bo and um and Eugene and it was really nice for us to get away Michael and I you know we haven't really gone any place like a it was like a vacation it was a little bit of a working vacation but mostly it was just us kind of being together in this lovely hotel room with this beautiful view of San Francisco a city that we love so much so thank you for this wonderful opportunity. And then to be on stage and get to sing and then get to oh, be a part of Dana's so wonderful reading. We had the, a ball. It was really fun. I'm so glad. And and I love, you know, that the Mighty Wind event was so wonderful because, you know, that's the thing that I think has been the most important to me about the festival is this sense of including audiences. And it helps the Bay Area audiences are so, like, checked in to you know their fans they're intelligent they're enthusiastic 
and they want to hear the behind the scenes stuff. And it's such a it feels very generous of these kind of comedy and film icons to to sit down and share those experiences. And it was very emotional. I know I was telling you after the show that I do improv with with Mike Hitchcock and John Michael Higgins. And I was I was very misty about just the profundity of what was being said on stage. And I don't know, it just it, that that's the kind of thing that I feel the most proud of about the festival. It's not really anything that I'm doing. It's the fact that the people who are coming in to share their stories and the people who are listening to the stories, there's this wonderful feeling like you feel in theater where everybody's sharing something that's ephemeral and it was beautiful. And you you singing was such a big part of that. And oh, it just, it, it was just wonderful. And, and it feels, it feels really good to bring that to that city. And I s- suddenly realized too, that you were on Nash Bridges for yeah. uh, a number of years. And I, that was when I was in college, I, someone talked me into being an extra on Nash Bridges. And it was the first time I'd ever been on like a real, you know, TV set and, you know, was like went to Treasure Island and was, you know, on John's, you know, like there was his the the girl played his daughter had a in the show had a party. And so that was my first real experience going like, oh, my God, it looks like a city. There's a giant (laughs) photograph around this set and I'm in and I'm on in an airplane hangar. And it was it was very cool. But when you're young and I'd love to hear about your experiences, too, you obviously started acting at a very young age. And I know, you, you know, your family moved from Houston. We'll talk about all that. But the first experience of doing something like that when you're a young person, I think I felt this sense of awe. But I also, as a young person, felt like I was supposed to act like I'd done it a million times. Uh-huh. This, you know, <laughs> dichotomy of being like, oh, my God, this is so, this is fine. No, this is cool. Whatever. This is just like we're making a show. Whatever. This is amazing. You know, Cheech just gave me a piece of pizza. So I have very fond memories of, you know, sort of the experience of being background. And yeah. uh, and I try to carry that with me when I work on shows now with background where I'm like, I, you know, you're a person. I hope this is fun and exciting for you. And it doesn't feel like a grind. And you know what I mean? Absolutely. I know what you mean. I never did extra work, but my both of my daughters have. My older daughter especially has done a lot of, of extra work. And um, she was on that show that Al Pacino does for, uh, I can't remember the one where he's like a, a, a Nazi hunter or something. Yeah, on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't remember the name of it. I think but it might be Hunters. Is it Hunters? Yeah, maybe. Mm. Anyway, she said it was fantastic. She sat right behind him in the shot. And she said it was like this great acting lesson she was having all day long. And she's yeah. like, oh, nice. Because they were kind of prepared, like, don't talk to him. Don't look him in the eye. She said he wasn't like that at all. I, she doesn't know why they, they would prepare people that way. But she's she's really enjoyed it. And she gets, she's a writer as well. So she gets a lot of work done when she's not, you know, she takes her laptop and does a lot of work when she's not being called on the set. But mostly she's just sitting there. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, Nash Bridges was really fun. I, I was living in Oregon at the time, so it was a nice commute for me. Sure. Yeah, and it was it was a wonderful time. It's a good city. It's a good city. It really is. Yeah. If you can make it work to be there, and I'm I'm hoping that you know the pandemic was horrible, but I'm I'm also hoping I think it pushed out a lot of people who sort of were there because they have a ton of money and are young and in tech. And when things got a little rough there, they were like goodbye. And I'm hoping that that means that the people who are really passionate about living in that city, because it is such a special, complicated place, have the opportunity to be to move back and be artists and, you know, 
yeah. eke out a living maybe in, in ways that it just became impossible to do in that town. So right, my right. fingers are crossed. Yeah. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, you were born in Houston, but uh, your your family moved to L.A. when you were, what, like 13, 12, 13, something like yeah, that? 13. And it was, wasn't my family. It was, I'm an only child. Me and too. It was, are you really? Uh-huh. It's a funny thing to be an only child. It's, it's kind of wonderful, but it's also this, I've lived with this kind of feeling of loss that I never had a sibling. Yeah, and I still do. That's why I was determined to have two children at least because I uh, I didn't want my older daughter to to not have a sibling. Yeah, and uh, so it, my mom, I had a cousin who wanted to go to art school, wanted to go to Art Center College of Design, and she was eighteen. And um, <laughs> my, I grew up in a dancing school in Houston. My mother and her her sister owned a very very prominent dancing school, and it was a real old time, you know, tap, ballet, jazz, oh, cool. acrobatic personality singing it was called <laughs> that's amazing what does that mean so just, just sort of like a lot of shirley temple songs that you <laughs> have a lot of hand gestures <laughs> and they would do these big shows and everything and so they, you know and i'd done tv at, at, in houston local television and local shows and so i had been doing this for a very long time and they all the consensus was that i was just the supremely talented kid and, and needed to have this career in los angeles yeah so so my dad was working for uh, Brown and Root, which is this big oil company in Houston. And he was traveling all over the world and working on offshore drilling rigs. So he was kind of gone anyway. And so we went out for the summer to see if, you know, to, to enroll her in art school and, and for me to, we knew one dance teacher and named Al Gilbert, who was a very famous dance teacher of the time in uh, Los Angeles. So he was sort of a mentor to us. He introduced us to to a lot of people. And he knew Tony Charmley, who was the choreographer for the Danny Kay show. So I auditioned for the Danny Kay show. And they happened to be doing, the guest star that week was uh, Gwen Verdon, who was my idol. I mean, that's what I who I wanted to be in my, yeah. in my young years. And I would still like to be her, actually. <laughs> And so they needed, they were doing this production number to Real Life Girl from Little Me, and it involved a very young girl and then a, a middle girl, and then it becomes Gwen. And so I was the middle girl. And I got to dance with Danny Kay, and I got to go to Television City at CBS, which was an amazing experience. When you were talking about being on Treasure Island for Natch Bridges, it reminded me of that was my first experience in any kind of big, you know, professional setting. I didn't have that teenage, a little older teenage thing of, of like, oh, I'm so cool. I was just amazed. And of course, I had a, a parent with me. So it wasn't, you know, I, I kind of had backup. Right, right. But it, it was a wonderful experience. So so we came out to do that. And then we didn't leave. They enrolled me in school because I got that job. I mean, I got that like a month after I got I got to L.A. Amazing. But I didn't. And, and I started, you know, my, my focus was on musical comedy mostly and dancing i was primarily a dancer but i also sang so that's what i was doing we should have been in new york hmm. but my mother didn't, was afraid of new york she didn't like new york it was just too we'd been there the year before and she just felt it was too too much for her yeah so here we are in la and i'm wanting a theater career <laughs> it's like what <laughs> but i i started um you know studying singing and stuff and i had an agent I had obtained who wanted to send me out on acting auditions. And I was, I had a chip on my shoulder about it. I just did not think that that was for me. I wanted to be Gwen Burden. Hmm. So I went to some acting classes and didn't like them. And then when I was 17, I walked into Robert Ellenstein's 
acting class and I walked out in love, in love mm. with acting, in love with the whole process. It really, it took two hours and I was like, okay, that's it. And it was a lifetime, has been a lifetime love affair. By this time, it's probably a long-term marriage. <laughs> a love affair. Um, but that was that was my beginning. And so my dad would come out and visit us. And um I also had no big success before I was 18. I would be sent out on things and I wouldn't get them because they said you have to be once you're 18, you can work as an adult. You don't have to have a teacher, you don't have to have a social worker. Sure. And so because once I turned 18, I looked a lot younger than I was, I started getting I, mean, I worked constantly. Yeah. It was it was fantastic. So I really got on the job training plus these wonderful acting lessons. And uh, here I am today. I have two questions for you. One is, did you were you enrolled in regular school in that period of time when you had moved there? But you and you were taking lots of classes, you're working a little bit, but you weren't working as constantly as when you turned 18. What was your kind of school life or your education look like? We I was living in on North Orange Drive in Hollywood and right around the corner from us. Because it was so convenient, and suddenly they decided they were going to enroll me in school. It was this school called the Marion Colbert School, C O L B, like Stephen Colbert, spelled yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah. Marion Colbert had had since passed away, but it was kind of in this little office building on La Brea, and right by that theater. It used to be called the Clinton. I don't know what it's called now. Uh, maybe maybe it's Clinton Street. And so i was just enrolled there and jay north was one of my classmates who was dennis the menace and he was lovely to me always so sweet to me and the kid who oh god what's his name john uh, he was on lassie he was he was the first kid on Lassie. no the second kid on lassie you know so there was some it was a little bit show busy Mm -hmm. so i went there for a year and the the best thing that happened to me there it, it was two good things happened to me there I had a wonderful teacher who really explained algebra to me. Mm. And I finally, I finally like, oh, I was always good at arithmetic, but now here we are going into this. And uh, the other thing that was, they, they let me skip a grade because I had been in parochial school in Houston. And when I came out here, I was like beyond what was, so I got to go immediately into high school, which in a small little private school like that was not a big deal. Socially, it wasn't hard. And I wasn't ever like a social. It was weird. I had blinders on about my what I wanted to do. I, I did myself and then I was encouraged in it by my family, which may be the opposite of what a lot of people who go on to become artists and actors and whatever experience from their families. So that was good. And then after one year of that, I went to the Hollywood Professional School, which was, so the Marion Colbert was a regular school day. Hollywood Professional School, it was intended for all like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland and Elizabeth Taylor, people like that, to have a real school experience when they weren't working. But they were always working. They were never not working or at their studio school. So it was set up for that. But by the time I went there, 1966, it was a lot of professional ice skaters, huh? a lot of immigration students, and uh, um, kind of misfits. The Cowsills went there. I met the Cowsills. Oh, wow. And the amazing thing about the Cowsill guys was Paul Cowsill was in my, my class. They didn't wear socks. <laughs> they wore loafers and no socks. I'm like, oh, my God. I've never <laughs> seen such a thing before. I was shocked. I'll never forget their ankles. Like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I've since become friendly with with Susan, who was much not much younger, but enough younger that I didn't didn't ever run into her. And she's great. She lives in New Orleans, and she's just so cool, and has a band, and and you know, just an incredible person. So, so the the day was you would go, you would have classes in the. It was designed so that you would have classes in the morning, school classes, and then. It used to be that they would have on the on the job, you know, people there to study voice and dance and music and all these different things. That didn't exist anymore when I went there. Your day ended like at 1231. So you had no breaks. You had no, you know, lunch break. You didn't have snack breaks. You didn't have anything. You went from class to class to class. It was pretty intense. Yeah. And so the, the idea was that in the evening or the afternoons, you were supposed to go to private lessons like that. And I think I was probably the only one who did that. I had voice lessons and could continue to have dance lessons because I at that point I wanted to be a dancer. That was it. That was my life. So I didn't I I graduated there. But I did get to meet Dr. Salk. I did really well and and my grades were really good. And so I there was a um what do they call that? A field trip to uh for the people who'd done well in their classes. And like I think five or six of us went in on a little bus and we went to, to the Salk Institute and got to meet Jonas Salk. Wow. And I remembered, you know, as a little kid taking the sugar cube with the polio vaccine on it. So to meet him was a huge thing to me. You yeah. meet the man who saved my life and the life of pretty much every kid in America or in the world. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so wonderful. I'm yeah, that the Hollywood Professional School, as you describe it, is really interesting. Like, that's a documentary I would be interested in seeing. Like, that era of just the the interesting mix of people who ended up there is so interesting. Because, you know, we when you said being on North Orange, you know, that's also fairly close to Hollywood High. So I didn't know if you were going to go in the direction of, like, Hollywood High, which is the sort of public school that a yeah. lot of actors and actors' kids went to as well. And I'm I'm so interested. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you, too, is when you found your sort of um, meant to be acting class, what was it about those two hours when you dipped into that and kind of went, oh, this. OK, this makes sense to me or this feels like the right approach to acting. Like, do you remember what it was that was so different from the other experiences? I think it was the teacher himself. Robert Ellenstein was a wonderful character actor and director. He was in North by Northwest. He's one of the guys who kidnaps Cary Grant. He's the oh, one without yeah. the hat. Yeah, yeah. Or, or the one with the hat. Anyway, I can't remember. But I, I don't know why, because I see that movie constantly. I love that movie. And he was just, I don't know. He was kind in a way that the other, the other, I, I think when I went to these other classes, it, it, it was an obligation. And these other people were, you know, they were they were geared to more to, to older people, to to people who were wanted to be actors. I didn't want to be an actor. I wanted to be a, a, a singer and, and a dancer. And so when I walked in there, I didn't know they were doing. I don't know what they were what they were working on, but I just loved the atmosphere. It was on Pico Boulevard, and my mother drove me there. Of course, because I didn't drive. I was sixteen, and I didn't like to drive. And it was night, and I didn't want to drive at night. I, I'm yeah. like. I was kind of the opposite of a lot of people. I was always very like, I wasn't timid. I just, there were things I liked and didn't like, and I didn't like to drive it. And I still don't. Now, now yeah. it's because I can't see well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I walked in and I just felt it was a warm atmosphere. There was another acting class. They were kind of partners. He was partnered with another actor named Lou. I can't remember his last name. Well, it may have come to me. 
And so he had the the back room and I just liked the people there. They were very welcoming and they were interested in me and they treated, they didn't treat me like an adult necessarily, but they treated me kindly. Mm. And I felt, I, I don't know, whatever they were doing, I just liked. I liked the exercises. They didn't seem creepy. Because <laughs> <laughs> some of them would be like, that. I don't want to reveal that. I'm, I'm a teenager and I don't feel like doing that. But I don't know. It was just that. And, I, and, and it occurred to me while I was there, something that had not occurred to me before, that acting is a, a profession that can go on as long as you're healthy enough to do it and want to do it. And dancing is not. Dancing is a very short career. Dancing itself. Yes. You can become a teacher or a choreographer or work in a ballet company or whatever, but your knees will only last so long. And you, you know, it's, it's so hard on your body. And most people who do that job don't ever become stars. They're behind people constantly. Yeah. And I had done enough of that because I would, I'd be cast in things where I was in the chorus and it's a thankless job. You know, you're killing yourself and you're behind this. And sometimes they can't even see you. You don't know what they're shooting and what, how you're being seen. So when I was 18, I got cast in, cause by that time I was really into acting. I'd been studying very hard. A few weeks before that I'd been cast in promises, promises as one of the leading dancers for the, the company that was coming from New York to LA. And I also went out for this gun smoke and they went at the same time. And I thought, well, I'm never going to get both of them. And I got both of them. And I had to decide what to do. And my mom really left the decision to me. She said, this is Mm. for you to decide. And I decided to do the gun smoke. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Max Fun Drive. Hey, chef, we got another one. Another Max Fun Drive. People know it's the best time to support the shows they love. You tell them our meetup day is back? Sure did. They wanted to know about the live streams, though. Those are finishing up right now. We can even send one out on the first night, March 20th. March 20th, Chef! I'll give them a heads up. Uh, They also wanted the limited time thank you gifts for new and upgrading members. Yep, and we got some fresh episodes ready to go, too. All right, we got exciting live streams, meetup day, fresh episodes, limited time gifts. Oh, and Boca! Yeah, um, okay, let them know that Max Fun Drive 2023 will be ready on... um, March 20th, and it'll only be two weeks. Two weeks, Chef! Max Fun Drive starts on March 20th for just two weeks. No problem. Order up! Shoot, I forgot their water. Okay, wonderfuls, I have another success story coming at you about me using wild grain to make myself look better. I'll tell you about it in a second. But if you've got family and friends coming for dinner, then you're already anticipating that kind of, oh my gosh, do I have enough food sort of feeling. And that's not that fun. But let me reassure you, there's no need for it. Get wild grain and you'll always have crowd-pleasing bread, rolls, pastries, pasta, and more in your freezer. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I think artisanal might be code for 
absolutely scrumptious. You'll never run the risk of getting bored with Wild Grain. I mean, they are constantly adding new seasonal and limited time special items to try. And every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. That's like half a podcast episode. Plus, for every new member, Wild Grain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank. So you can eat good and do good all at the same time. Okay, so I mentioned Wild Grain made me look amazing once again. Brandon and I just went on the Joko cruise. And before we left, we decided we wanted to do some baked spaghetti to leave for our amazing friend who stays with our dogs, Jasper and Whitley, while we're gone. So we created this amazing baked spaghetti dish using wild grain pasta and had it warm and delicious and ready for her for when she arrived. And I must tell you, we got back and there was no evidence that that had ever existed except for a sparkling clean Pyrex dish that we had baked the wild grain spaghetti in. So it was a massive hit and was a really fun way for us to give another little thank you to a friend who is doing an amazing job being what we call Uncle Heather to our dogs. So thank you once again, Wild Grain. Now for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free, and you know I love to say it, croissant in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash jvclub to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissant or croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash jvclub. That's wildgrain.com slash jvclub or you can use promo code jvclub at checkout. And if you want to find out more how we use wild grain pasta to bake our spaghetti, email me. I'm interested, too, because you hear you got this encouragement from your mom and hear you had grown up in this dancing school. Was part of her support of you also a certain pragmatism where she was saying those types of things? Was she saying, like, I love for you to do this. You're so talented. Let's pursue this couple of things you need to keep in mind. You know, as you see, I'm a teacher. You may end up as a teacher. You know, what was that? What was that conversation like with her before you yourself made the decision? Like, maybe I don't want to do this full time and and forever. We never had that conversation. I think she wanted me to do. It's weird because I'm I'm doing this thing that I never would have done. I'm in a place I never would have been in without people picking me up and taking me there. And at the time, it was very exciting. She and I never talked that way about it. She just said, this is your decision. But I think, you know, Gunsmoke, TV, I think that was like, okay, if that's yeah. what you want to do, sure. Because then everybody could see me do it. You know, yeah. it wasn't like these, I'd, I'd done a little guest star thing on My Three Sons or Courtship of Eddie's Father, but this was becoming something they hadn't expected, I think. Got it. So it was fine. Yeah. I, I got whatever, so wh- whichever way I went. They would have been happy. They, meaning my mother and my other residual family at home, her sister mainly. So yeah, we never talked about it in that in that way that we probably should have. Well, it makes sense in the in 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 a way because you know we hear stories about people, especially actors, but just friends of mine who have been in the business doing other things, writing or directing, who have kids whose kids express an interest in being a part of the business and. There's sort of a, I would say that it, it leans heavily towards the side of discouragement rather than encouragement for those who are in the business. And maybe part of it is, you know, she didn't want to, like, she wanted to be pragmatic, but at the same time, what's the point of being pragmatic with a young person who has this passion? Mm-hmm. Why would you snuff it? Like, I, I wonder for her if it was a balance of trying to figure out how to do it, how to do it proactively, how to be practical about it, how to get you in the right place. 
And it wasn't about, you know, but I should manage her expectations because because then that might make you go, oh, well, I don't I don't want to see where this goes. It sounds like it can't go anywhere. I don't want to see where it goes. So it feels like I like that she was like, let's not talk about. I mean, to me, it makes sense in a way that she would be like, we're not going to get into whether or how when your body's going to give out. When your knees are going to go like this is not the time for that. This is the time for Annette to to follow her passion. And we'll deal with that if that happens later. She's going to she'll be fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I think so. I don't I don't know if she ever put that much clear thought into it (laughs) as you just did. I wish she had. But yeah, it was probably just like they were they were just okay with it. You know, they were just glad I was taking two things and people were wanting me for a Gunsmoke episode. Yeah. What was you were talking about maybe not having those same strong desires to you know, and I was the same way. I was sort of uneasy about driving. I had friends who drove. My parents didn't have an extra car. Uh, they both drove stick shifts. I yeah. hated driving a stick. So there was a lot of for me, a lot of kind of like, yeah, these rites of passage, maybe those can wait because I'm a little uneasy about those and these other things. Maybe I'll yeah. I'll pursue a little bit more. How does dating fit into this sort of professional yet academic life that you're, you know, that you're kind of going back and forth between? It it didn't. I I there was there were a couple at the Mary Colbert School, there was a couple of guys who were interested in in um you know, calling me up at that point. It was like I was so not interested. I just, it's like, why? I'm doing what I want to do. I was really, it was really about doing what I wanted to do. I didn't, it was weird. I just didn't think about it. It was like an annoying thing that they were wanting to call. Why, why? I'm just going in class together. It doesn't mean I want to talk to you on the phone after class. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when I was when I was 17, I had gotten into UCLA, but I, I didn't want to go because I realized once I got there, and I had all these really good grades and everything that I, they weren't going to let me do any plays that for the first two years, I was going to have to do just academics. This was Got the it. poly then. I don't <laughs> know whether it was why, but, and I didn't want to go anywhere else because I wanted to work by this time. I was like, yeah, I can work now. So I, um, I got into a, uh, a production of West Side Story at the Inner City Cultural Center, which I was in downtown L.A. And it was directed by uh, Lonnie Chapman, who's this wonderful actor from great guy. And he was so lovely. And they needed like a they had a lot of older people playing these jets and sharks. And I was the only person like of the right age to be there I needed to really be in the show. Yeah. Not the only person, but I mean, I was the youngest one. So I got cast as Baby John's girlfriend, Clarice, and I was a Jet. And I understudied Rosalie, or Rosalia, who is the, I mean, I'm the least looking Puerto Rican person maybe ever. Uh, and I thought, I'll never go on. Well, of course I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but I, had, I was in the ballet, the, somewhere ballet, and so I had to play both parts. And these, you would do a 10 o'clock performance in the morning for the kids who would come in from all over the LA school district. They'd bring them in. So these poor kids had no idea who I was like what gang is she in (laughs) so while I was in this show I met the two people who would be my two first two boyfriends and it was like a whole world opened up and I think it was because I was in a a very intense show that's about something very important and love and fighting and infighting and kids coming to their you know maturity and yeah 
how they deal with it. And it's all, all very violent. So yeah, I, I just fell head over heels for this guy and who was playing baby John, my, my cohort. Yeah. And also I made really interesting friends with, with Tony Geary, who went on to be on Young the Restless. And uh, he was kind of, a, kind of a boyfriend for a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was, that was, that was really interesting. So that was like the beginning of my dating life. It came out of work. And I think it came out of not them so much as the people they were playing Yeah, in the show. In, in a weird, I've never, ever even been on a date with someone who wasn't an actor or a director mm. or a writer or a musician. I've never mm. been like a real person. <laughs> like, uh-huh. never, it's never interested me because I'm fascinated by, by people who, who, who are with someone who's not in it at all, who, who are with a doctor or, or a lawyer or something. It's like, what do you talk about? What? And that's what they love about it. I'm sure it's yes. that they're, yeah. they don't have to talk about it. But for me, it's like, if I can't, relate on that level it's so ingrained in me you know what yeah. i do with who i am yeah. that i don't i don't know what i would how i would I, I did go on one day somebody at my first acting class set me up with this guy i do think he was a writer or something but he just seemed like a normal person it's like uh-huh. can't please go away i don't want to talk to you <laughs> it was awful you know what's so funny about that and this is this is just a series of like stereotypes and and very reductive statements, but it's because they're compliments. I hope that they will be taken in the manner in which they're intended. Um, so I'm just going to roll with it and see what happens. But having said all this, you know, what I think is interesting about certain types of actors is that, you know, some people, I think it's fair to say that some people who grow up in the studio system or who people who just grow up surrounded by the culture of show business They just, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's skill or commitment or attachment to, you know, the sort of blue collar world that maybe they weren't a part of. It's hard to accept some people in roles that feel like the everyday person or that feel like the hard worker who came from X, Y, Z. And you are if you had said if I didn't know any of this and you said, well, you know, it's very funny, Janet. I was actually a molecular biologist uh, until I was 35. And then I just decided to pursue acting and it just kind of fell into place for me. Of course, I know you from too many things pre that. But if if I if you just drop me in from another planet and I didn't know any of that and I had just seen performances from you from 35 on, for example, you can play, you know, sort of ethereal superstar type disconnected from reality people but you also have been cast frequently as very relatable you know in some cases small town Mm -hmm. you know just extremely believable human beings who are existing far far outside the experience of being an artist per se Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i think that's i think that's wonderful it's I mean, that is a compliment to say that you're completely and totally connected to humanity outside of filmmaking and television making in a way that people obviously immediately pick up on and go, I yes, I believe this person. And 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 I really do mean that as a compliment. Does that make sense to you? It's a huge and have compliment. you been told that before? I'm sure you have been. Yeah. And it's kind of surprising to me because I never did any. I never had a regular job. I never had, I never had to work as a waitress. You know, I started supporting myself when I was a teenager yeah. because I got on, I got on the soap opera with uh, actually Tony Geary recommended me. He was on this show called Bright Promise. It was a half hour soap opera. And so I played his girlfriend, Gypsy, 
And for three months, I made enough money. I said, I'll never buy a car unless by this time I was driving at night. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never buy a car. I won't buy a car until I can pay for it myself. And so I was able to get my, my Ford Maverick, which I later sold to Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so yeah, but, but thank you. That, that's a very lovely thing to say. And I, I, I hope it's true. And I, I'm very glad that I have been able to play a lot of different things and um, it's, it's really fun. And, and I think, you know, and I, I certainly know a lot of people who, who aren't in by now in my adult life, you know, yeah. and I respect those people so much. And it's just that I, I, I wouldn't want to, uh, you know, date them or marry them. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I had another interesting experience for the first time in Robert Ellenstein's class that I, I should probably tell you. We were doing an acting exercise and we were having to walk in a circle. And I can't remember what it was, what we were doing, but we were walking in a circle <laughs> There's an actor named Daryl Larson, and I just love Daryl. I've, I've known him since then. He was like a year older than I was. And so I was following him in the circle, and uh, this girl behind me said, nice ass. And I said, yes, he, I guess he does, doesn't he? And she said, no, you. I said, <laughs> oh, oh. No, I mean, I kind of knew that this, 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 there was this other thing out there that I had not experienced. And, yeah. and I was very, very flattered and, and flustered. And, and I never did a scene with her. It would have been interesting if I had. Yeah. Also very ballsy of her. Please yeah. pardon the expression. That was a very poor choice of uh, using expression. But <laughs> but that's that. I mean, for that era, even now, like there are so many places where you just would be terrified of you know sort of dropping a little bit of a sassy compliment to someone of the same sex like that's very that's very bold but yeah I was just everything people said to me like that it was just this whole new world opening up you know it's just I mean because I I was so delayed and all that I just had not it had not occurred to me and then suddenly it just did and everything you know like I went to this party with the West Side Story group and they were smoking marijuana and it was like Oh my God! Uh-huh. Whoa! You know, it's, it's like I was just wow, I, and I loved it. I loved it, and, and then I kind of started this. Uh, you know, this was was all kept from my mom. It was a well, very sure. different world I was entering. Was there ever a period of time in which you did kind of have because you you have described these eras in your life of being very driven and not in like a you know you said blinders, but. I think part of the reason that you play so well doing all these different types of characters is that you maybe what it boils down to is like you're a hard worker and you're yeah. a hard worker, whether you're waitressing or, you know, dancing or playing a lead on something like you're there to work with a team as a hard worker. And that does kind of transcend status or, you know, whatever like experience or lack thereof we've had doing different things and acting. And that's sort of the, the idea of of great acting is like. You're showing up, you're being a hard worker. Was there ever a time where you sort of pulled back on that, where you had a sort of like, I don't want to say like a like a crisis or ennui or anything like that, but is there ever a time in your life where you were like, oh, this is a little bit of a drag or, you know, maybe I just like, I'm not feeling it. I feel more listless than I feel connected to the craft. Like, did you go through times like that or have you just kind of always had that connection? I've always had it and I've never That's lost great. it. In fact, it's it's stronger now. The only time in my life that it was very difficult was when I was married to my first husband. He did not want to live in Los Angeles. Mm. He had been and still is connected to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, Oregon. So I just decided, well, I I guess I will go live there and I'll just 
commute. And at the time, it seemed like it was going to be real doable. It was, it was very difficult, but I continued yeah. to do it. I just said, well, okay, I'm here. And I was flying in for meetings. It was, it, it was so hard, hard because there was no direct flight then oh, from God. Medford, Oregon. I would be stopping in San Francisco. And as you know, a lot of times you're fogged in. So it was really hard. And then I had, you know, two young children and it was like, oh my God. So I just decided at that point, well, I'm just going to take what's offered to me. Mm. I'm not going to put myself through coming down and auditioning and meeting and all this stuff. So I, uh, I started doing a lot of, it, it, I'm, I'm really glad for it because I, I continued to work, but I wasn't being considered anymore for like big leading roles in movies. I really took myself out of that at the time when I should have been here. Mm. But because I'm so driven, I'm glad I did it because it made me focus. On, I mean, I really, I really wanted to have a family. Yeah. And so I, we lived this very father knows best life. We lived around the, the girls went to public school and their, their preschool was around the corner and their school. I would walk them to school every day and they had all these friends and I had like real life friends, people who weren't with a lot of them were involved in the theater because sure. that, that's a big theater. That's big like theater town. Yeah. Big repertory theater. And so it was a wonderful upbringing for them. It became sort of a goldfish bowl for me because I was the, the town famous person. And anytime I'd go to Safeway, it was like, what exciting thing are you doing now? <laughs> I'm going buying grapes, you know, I'm not <laughs> you know, here I am. Are you in town now? Well, here I am, you yeah. know, and I didn't want to be sarcastic about it, but it just became a burden. And then the marriage was, was, was very difficult. It just was hard. Sure. So I, that broke up and I, uh, I came back to LA where I really needed to be. So, yeah. um, but that, that was the only time that it, it wasn't that I, was bored with it. I, I just, I made it hard for me. Made hard. a different choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and looking back, I'm glad I did because it just, it was, you know, I learned so much. It was such an interesting yeah. time. Well, you just don't seem like the kind of person that like, again, I try to fashion myself this way as well, but like, if you're happy in the moment that you're in right now, it's hard to hold on to regrets because yeah, if something yeah. had been different, what if, you know, all of these other wonderful things hadn't developed afterwards or during or all of that. That's exactly right, yeah. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. And now, a live reading from Rachel's Poetry Corner. Elephants Theremin's Clifton, Neopets Poorstrips Jepson, Pine Smell Jellybeans Goalie Goals, Skittles Squirrels and the Mole, Celery Chopsticks Pumpernickel, A Case of You by Joni Mitchell. Lullabies tie-dye, the more you know, all of these things on our wonderful show. All of these things and more wait for you on Wonderful every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Okay, well, I want to do this MASH game with you. <gasps> oh, hey, good. I would like to start with a category that will be you get to play a musical theater role. This is we are suspending time, age, gender, all of that. You get to do it one performance or six months of performances. It's totally up to you. But three roles that you would love to play on stage in a musical, whether it's Broadway or elsewhere. Yeah. So singing, dancing, the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah. 
Mama Rose was the first that came to mind. Yeah. Of course. Uh, it's just Wonderful. one of the most amazing parts ever. Uh, Louisa in the Fantastics. Right. Which I worked a lot on when I was that age and never played. And let me think. Uh, uh, the, the company, the Elaine Stritch part. Oh, what is her name? Uh, I don't remember. Know but Patty, Patty yeah. Lapone just played it in the yes. latest okay. version. Yes, indeed. Okay. He gets to sing lady, The Ladies Who Lunch. Yes. Okay. Love it. All right. The next category is going to be three musicians. Now, it could be composer, singer, songwriter. It could be a whole band. Living or dead that in this kind of magical world we're creating, you get to collaborate on something with. So maybe oh you write a song God. together. You get to. Mm-hmm. Wow. Three. There's so many. Richard Thompson <laughs> is the first. Richard, Richard Thompson? Thompson? Wonderful. And uh, Paul McCartney, Elvis Costello. Those are the first three that come to uh, mind. Wonderful. I love this game. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, it just makes you think of all the things you love. Okay, next one is, this is sort of a one I like to plug in each time because I love to hear people's answers. In this alternate reality we're creating, nothing that you eat is bad for you. So, And it's not bad for the environment either. So uh, this is an opportunity for a vegan to eat a cheeseburger knowing it's not a real cow. No one's getting hurt. It's an opportunity to eat an entire giant jumbo bag of M&Ms without feeling sick from the sugar rush and not getting fat. It's an opportunity for you to have the perfect, beautiful Thai soup that you only had once in another country and you've never really been able to regain that flavor. So this is a wish fulfillment of like, you can have it at the snap of your fingers whenever you want. It's not the only thing you're eating, but there's zero ramifications to yourself or anyone else. Three foods. Three foods. Um, It's crazy, but salmon with brown rice and broccoli rob. That's like the whole, those are three things. Uh, But that is a meal. That's one meal. Uh, the yes. enchiladas from Felix's Mexican restaurant in Houston, Texas, which I don't believe exists anymore. The cheese Hell enchiladas. Yeah. Yes. And the bag of M&M's. M&M's yeah. are my favorite candy. And I have done that. Not at one sitting, but I've almost eaten a whole pound of M&M's at once. Yeah. That's, that's M&M's and then C's candy is also oh. a big risk oh for God. me. Pecan buds. Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. All right. Next one. And this is the one I always feel really guilty about, especially when I just absolutely adore someone's partner. But this is a world in which perhaps, you know, Michael McKeon is just you're never going to meet or, you know, he's he's <laughs> I don't know what's happening with him. But this is this can be a character from literature. It can be an, an actor from an era, a bygone era who's not with us anymore. It could be just a character in a movie that, you know, the actor happened to play. Three romantic partners that we're going to plug into this alternate reality. Oh, my God. There's so many. It's funny because when you ask me about the musicians, those three are kind of that for me. Uh-huh. too. But Understood. besides that, uh, Cary Grant. Oh, my God. Yeah. Spencer Tracy. Notice that these are actors. And um, let me think. Well, since I said Paul, I'll have to say John Lennon. Wonderful. (laughs) Great, 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 great. Okay. Next category is three. Now, this is going to be tough because of everything we talked about. Three alternate universe careers. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm not saying that you have to give up everything you're doing now, but it could be like, but on the side, you have a little cafe that you don't you don't necessarily have to stress about, but you have a part in that. Or you open a school that someone else is teaching at, but you've helped found it or, you know, a clinic or a flower shop, something like that. So three other things that you're not doing now that it might be fun to sort of dip a toe in, even if it didn't pull away from from the things you love. I'd love to be a librarian. Love it. I would love to be a knitwear designer or knit shop owner. And um, I, I really love to cook. So I, I, I just like to work in a restaurant in some capacity. I'd be a sous chef, maybe. 
Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Okay, next category. Three things you love that already exist in this world that we're going to let you take credit for. So you can say, oh, you thought John wrote The Ballad of John and Yoko. That's so adorable. Uh (laughs) I actually wrote that. Oh, you thought Rodin's The Thinker was him? That's very sweet, but it was actually me. So these are three things that you love that have been created that with a little wink and a smile, you get to take credit for in this reality. I wrote The Grapes of Wrath. Wonderful. I wrote Rhapsody in Blue. Oh, wonderful. And I wrote Yesterday. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right. Second to last question. Three places in the world that you would love to have a vacation home. And that could still be a bustling city. It doesn't have to mean like vacation sitting on a beach, but it can. And we can sort of teleport you there. So wherever it is in the world, know that we don't have to worry about a long flight. Okay. This is this is a total fantasy because I've never been there. Iceland. I really want to go to Iceland, mostly because they have fantastic yarn and gorgeous scenery and everybody speaks really beautiful English. The first thing I expected you to say was not yarn. And that makes me so happy. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I got to go to Iceland. I feel the same. Well, Ireland, because that's where my roots are. And having watched uh, Banshees of Inisherin, you know, recently, it's like, oh, my God, please take me there. But nobody, nobody hurt their hands. (laughs) Yes. And uh, one more. Let me. New York City is 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 maybe where I live in my soul constantly. Wonderful. Final question. Three movies that you can jump into whenever you want. You're just getting the feel of that world. You're not reliving the, the plot. You're not one of the characters per se. It's just the immersion of being in that world with those characters. The Wizard of Oz. Wonderful. North by Northwest. Which yes. Which about. Just because I I just talked about it, I guess, well, I guess the Banshees of Inisherin and uh, Ryan's Daughter. Let's say Ryan's Daughter. Oh, great. That was a big, big Irish movie to me when I was a kid or teenager. Beautiful. Okay. Give me a number between one and seven. Three. Great. Okay. I don't know what's happening with all the various things that you have going on. Will you, while I do my very rudimentary non-algebraic calculations to come up with this 100% guaranteed alternate universe that's that we've got the Smash World happening for you, will you tell people where they can find you, anything that you want to recommend to them of yours or someone else's? I don't know if it's Virgin River coming back. Is that, yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you don't mind, this is a mild vamp and any okay. <laughs> any dead space of me still quote unquote calculating will cut out anyway. So but okay. this is an opportunity okay. to get everyone on board. I'm Aww. sure they already are, but sweet. Yes, well, I'm I'm we just completed our fifth season of Virgin River, which we shoot in Vancouver, and it's a lovely place. As my friend John Glover says, it's the golden handcuffs. You get to go up there and be in this beautiful place, but it's you're away from your family and sometimes there's COVID and you can't go and it's hard. Yes. But we had a really good last season. We finished in November. I've done all my looping for the year. So I've seen some of it. It's very exciting. And we have a new showrunner and a new writing group. And and that's been fun. No other work on the horizon. I'm actually glad I've turned down a few, few things, which at this point, I feel like I just want to do stuff I have never done before. Or I want to work with a certain actor or director. But Michael and I are going to New York soon to do a workshop of a a new musical. Oh, nice. Called Harold and Lillian. It's based on a documentary called Harold and Lillian, A Hollywood Love Story. That was done by Daniel Rame. It's a wonderful documentary if you haven't seen it. It came out about seven or so years ago. Yeah. And it's about the Michelsons. 
Harold Michelson was an amazing storyboard artist. He did stuff like the Ten Commandments, you know, Moses. Oh, he wow, did yeah. All of that and the birds and, and just incredible oh, stuff. One of those people who is very unsung hero of the movies. And Lillian, even more unsung hero, heroine, was, had a huge research library. So, because there wasn't the internet at that point and people would like, she did fiddler on the roof and they didn't know they had the matchmaker scene and the girls all fall back and you see their little pantaloons and nobody knew what they looked like. Nobody knew what was accurate. So she went to Cantor's deli and sat outside and there were all these little old ladies sitting there and she asked them what, and they said, Oh yes, I have a pattern. I'll go home and draw you up the pattern. We used to make our own pantaloons. So that stuff like that she did. And she is still going not quite so strong. She's a little, little frail at the moment, but she's, her mind is incredible. She lives at the motion picture home in in the Valley. And so this is their story about their life together. And not only their working life, but their personal life was very, she, she married him when she was 17 and she had been an orphan. I mean, she's got an amazing life. I don't know anything about this. I've got to see the documentary. I've got to see the workshop. Yeah. Is that something people are going to be able to see when you do the workshop of the musical? Not the workshop, okay. because we've been doing this now for, for three years. We've been working. <sighs> but it's really hard with my schedule and Michael's schedule as well sure. to get time with the director. But we have our time slot in March for New York. And <sighs> we've already done it two years ago. We did a workshop of it in um, at, at South Coast Rep. But South Coast Rep is, is um, a producer of it. So it's it's very exciting and it's a way for us to work together on stage, which we, we haven't really done. I mean, we've done readings and things, but this is a, it's a beautiful play. And, and my friends um, who I've worked with before, Julianne Wick Davis and Dan Collins are the writers. Oh, they do such beautiful work. So we're very excited about that. So that's oh, that's what's up next. OK, well, listen, I you've dangled that in front of me. I'm dying to see <laughs> somehow see you do that. So uh, I'll have to I'll have to just. OK, uh, my fingers are very crossed. OK, well, I feel that you're going to be very pleased with this uh, this 100 percent guaranteed alternate <laughs> universe in Edo to a life. There's a lot going on here. You're going to be very, very busy indeed. For one thing, in addition to uh, your home now, you also have a beautiful house in New York City. That's going to come in handy for your work as Mama Rose for oh. as short or as long as you would like for that to happen. That wow. is certainly afoot. I don't know how you're also squeezing in being a sous chef, but that is also <laughs> happening. So again, very busy. Get some sleep. Want to make sure that's happening. Maybe you sometimes you just need to check out and dive into Ryan's daughter and just be in the Ireland of it all when you want a little respite that is also available as an option to you. Now, here's the thing. This collaboration that you're doing with Elvis Costello, I'm very, very excited about it. I'm a little nervous that your actual romantic partner, John Lennon, might be a little jealous because Elvis is a dreamboat. So you guys are going to work that out amongst yourselves. <laughs> already it's a little kind of uh you know like whoo you know he's very proud of you but the fact that you wrote yesterday i mean that is a very <laughs> beloved song that you did not steal away from john so it's not like he can you know but he's 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 impressed he's impressed that that you wrote yesterday well, my, my other boyfriend paul really wrote it so and your okay. other that, of course be fine <laughs> of course paul of course 
you also have the ability to, and you're going to need the calories, quite frankly, zero ramifications regardless, but you're going to be eating those bags of M&Ms just Whoa, to keep going because you have awesome. so much happening. Uh, it's all happening. This is the result of your mash game. Annette, this has been such a, a joy and a pleasure for me and a continuation of just like the honor of getting to work with you on something for a minute up at Sketchfest. You're wonderful. You're Janet, wonderful. Thank I'm such you. a this fan. So much fun. I love the game and I love talking to you. It was really, really a lovely experience. Thank you so much. Oh. And thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. I will talk to you next week. And boy, we are just going to keep trying to drag you up to the festival because now I have all of these positive associations. So we'll find more stuff uh, for you to do. Maybe some more singing. Absolutely. Wonderful. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.